Good morning, Freedom Center. Happy Easter. Uh, today is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today is this amazing culmination of man's sin and God's love and Jesus' sacrifice and everybody's stories combining together in a moment like this. It is an incredible opportunity for all of us today to stop and celebrate and stand in awe and, and to be grateful. So I want you to know this though, if you're here today and you're like, what's the purpose of this? I'm gonna tell you right up front. At the end of this message today, I'm gonna to be giving everyone here an invitation. Uh, that invitation is gonna be, would you, are you ready? Is this the time? Are you prepared to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior? So I wanna put that out there right up front. The reason for this message is not to sell to you, not to convince you, but to show you what we're all celebrating in the hopes that you will join in that celebration today. So I wanna to begin with prayer and I'm gonna tell you a story. So Father, thank you for today. <clears throat> Pray that today, God, you would just speak to every heart. Some are listening in different parts of the United States. Some are listening to this on the radio or the internet. Some are in congregational settings. Some are all alone, God. Some are in nursing homes, some are in restaurants. But I pray right now, wherever they are, you would be with them and you would tell this beautiful story so well today, God. Arrest our hearts. I mean, we give you this time now, our full attention in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna tell you a story. A long time ago, there was a place and there was one man and there was one woman, Adam and Eve. This place was known as the Garden of Eden. And I, I know I was looking for like art, like what, what did the Garden of Eden look like? And I don't know, I, I, I don't think we can really uh, properly draw or graphically design what it might have been because it was, yes, it was nature, but it was nature placed by God. My yard is nature placed by man, this bush, that, that tree, this grass, but this was nature placed by God. And there was a man, Adam, placed by God, Eve, placed by God. And as God looked around us, all that he created, he used these words, ma'od tav, it is very good. Now, when Almighty God <laughs> looks at something and goes, oh, yeah, it's okay. Like, no, that is very, that is ma'od. It is, it's multiplyingly, wonderfully, muchly, and the strongest word for the positive, good. It is very good. You know it's very good. And I, I, I you know, of course, I've never been to the Garden of Eden. I, I, you know, there's certain archaeological clues as to where that might have been. But I, I would just say this. I think the closest thing that I've come to that moment is, this is going to sound strange, I was on a family vacation uh, about a month ago, and it was neat. Uh, JD and I went down to Houston for a conference, and then, you know, if we're already in a warm climate, we thought ahead we'd saved for a year. Like, what if we just kind of made that the, the beginning place of our vacation? So um, my other son, Josh, my wife, JD, my perfect daughter-in-laws, my extraordinarily perfect grandkids, right? They all get on a plane. They meet us down in Houston. They go about 50 miles south down into the Galveston Island area. And, and it may seem like, you know, why, why is that like the Garden of Eden? It's, it's not the setting. It's not the beach sand or the, it's really more of a, of a moment. Um, it's, it's this, I don't want to say it the right way, but it, it was a place of great beauty. The Gulf of Mexico, the beach, the waves, 21 miles in either direction. First day we were there, there's nobody on the beach. You couldn't see, but maybe a handful of people, 21 miles, you know, of, of just sandy beach and it's all yours. It's, it's beautiful, the waves coming in, the salt air, the smell, the birds, it was awesome, right? 
but beyond that, it was it was a place of plenty. Like we'd stored and saved and prepared for a season as a family where we wouldn't have to, you know, if we wanted something, we just went and got it. If you like a bagel, go get two, you know. Um, I, I want to rent a golf cart, even though it's a drivable beach, we need a golf cart because we have grandkids and golf carts are fun. They're go-karts only with golf clubs. So we, uh, you know, we got to get the golf cart and just, let's just do it. Whatever you want to do for these seven days, let's just go and do it. And it was a place of plenty. I, but I think the greatest thing was just <clears throat> the people I love most in the world. Now, I love you and I, I love the people in this room and I love, but I just know your family, your grandkids, come on with me. Somebody say amen, right? Your grandkids, like it's just, like it was the Garden of Eden. The people I love the most and in a place of beauty with plenty. It was, it was probably the closest thing that I can experience on, in this life to like that, that Garden of Eden everyday living that Adam and Eve had. It's John Denver said it on a song, Rocky Mountain High. He said, coming home to a place I'd never been before. Like, like home is not just this address. It was this, this address of my heart. These are my people, and this is the plenty, and it's so beautiful. It's 74 degrees and sunny, and I'm in shorts. My, my kneecaps had not seen sun for so long that I walked outside in shorts, and my kneecaps were blinking. Like, they, they hadn't seen, like, they're just white, like two marshmallows hanging off my thighs. So it was, it was just this beautiful moment of, of family and plenty. And I, I, there's this one picture, and I'll, I'll show it to you, but this is, this is Josh getting a manicure by uh, my granddaughter, Francine. Just that moment, just it, like that is the moment. There's the golf cart. There's JD's extraordinarily large feet that are, that are behind it in the shot, you know. But it's just, I remember sitting there going, I'm gonna take a picture of this because I don't wanna forget what it's like to be at peace with the people I love and plenty and in uh, this beauty. So I, I took that picture right there. I could feel in my soul in moments what it must have been like every moment of every day in the Garden of Eden. But the Garden of Eden is not just this beautiful place. And stay with me in this, this story as we continue. There's, in order for love to really be loved, there has to be a choice. So if it's just Gilligan and Marianne on the island and Marianne says, Gilligan, do you love me? Like, well, more than everyone else. <laughs> you know, I don't know anyone else, right? But if Ginger's there, Mrs. Howell's there, and if you're too young to get that, just look it up on YouTube. But if there's choices, that's when love really becomes love. There's 8 billion people on the planet. And I looked at my wife 34 years ago and I said, I choose you. I'd look at her today and say, I still choose you. It, in all these choices, the one that I prefer, the one that I choose over all the other choices is you. And so God placed in the center of the garden something that caused her to be a choice. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And every time Adam and Eve walked past it, it's not, it's not often some cavern somewhere. It's not the bottom of the ocean, the top of Mount Everest. It was in the middle. So in other words, they, they wouldn't buy it every day. But you know, why would God put poison in the playpen of humanity? Well, this is why. Every time they walked past it, they were saying with their actions, with their life, God, I choose you. God, I choose your ways. God said, don't, don't eat it. Just don't eat it. And, and every time they walked past that beautiful fruit and said, I'm not going to eat it. Why? Because I trust my creator. I trust his truth to be my truth. It, it, his truth is truth, and I choose it. I prefer it. I, just like they were preferred and chosen, they chose God's ways over their ways or any other way. But in order to love, we have to be given this right to prefer. And so I want you to know that in this garden, they're, they're not alone. There's animals and God's creation. And one of the things that was there, he's known as the serpent. Now we think of serpents as snakes, and certainly after the curse that God puts on this animal, this creature, this beast, this being, 
Uh, he is now what we would understand to be a serpent, a snake, crawling out of his belly, eating dust, and all that kind of stuff. But prior to this, he's a beautiful and intelligent and even articulate creation. We know later on through Scripture that this is the devil or Satan or various names that he goes by, the thief, etc. Um, but, but he has this conversation. And I want you to know something, that the, the serpent is not a terrorist. He doesn't corner them with guns and knives and force them. He's, he's not a bully. He's, he, he's not an IRS agent. He's not, sorry, if you're an IRS agent. But he's not like, I'm using the law to manipulate you. He, he's just simply a liar. And so he, he took objective truth, that which is true according to God, who created all truth and says, this is true, and he makes it subjective. You know, did God really say? I mean, he said that, but times have changed since God said that. And actually, because of, you know, you love each other, so it's all right. Everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. Actually, what God has done is his ways are inferior to my ways. And so I want you to trust me because I'm more trustworthy than he is. I want you to believe me because my words are truer than any other truth there is. And so he lies to them. He's not a terrorist. He's a liar. He's not a bully. He's not an IRS agent. He's a liar, but how many guys know that when you believe the lie, you become the lie? We become the lies that we believe. We believe fear, we become afraid. We believe lust, we become lustful. We believe greed, we become greedy. This is the consequence of believing that which is not true. And so the lie, it was, I just want you to know this, it was more than just believed. The lie was preferred. The liar was chosen over truth and the truth giver. The sin of Adam and Eve is no small thing. It's like, well, they just took a bite out of an apple. Like, it's more than that. They chose their daddy, if you will. Two narratives, they believed one over the other. They made Satan and his lies Lord of their lives versus God and his truth Lord of their lives. So what happens when lies and liars are preferred? You can kind of, you know, what those people we just talked about on the beach. What happens if on that beach my wife picks up my phone and she finds text messages from another woman and she realizes I've been lying to her about my preference? What happens if to that plenty when, when they realize we didn't really have this money, uh, I lied to you and, and that isn't even our house. I broke into it and now the police show up, right? Consequences come because of lies that have been told. What happens to those to those, um, to that beauty of that moment on that beach. For the rest of our lives, we'll look at a beach like that and say, I'll never forget the time I was standing on the beach just like this when the worst news I'd ever heard, when the most embarrassment I ever felt, shame came into our family that day, right? What happens when lies are believed? What happens to the beauty, to the people, to the plenty? And this is the answer then, and this is the answer now. Eden, instead of being a, a small slice of heaven, becomes earth, which is a terrible example of what happens it's hellish. It's consequential. It's weighty. Matter of fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He, he's trying to describe what I'm trying to describe, and because he's a lot better at it than I am, he uses one sentence. He says, the wages of sin is death. The, that which is believed that is a lie has a paycheck associated with it. If you labor towards something, you expect some sort of remuneration. You expect a paycheck. You expect a wage to be paid. When you do the works of evil, when you do the works of lies, when you believe liars, and you do those works, there's a paycheck for that. There's a consequence. Might be a better or more relevant word for us today. The wage is the consequence of sin. He said that that which it touches dies. 
Everything God created, he created with life. It's tab. it's very good, it reproduces. It's not just an apple, it's an apple with seeds that can produce an, an infinite number, number of apples. It's, just, it's not just Adam and Eve, it's Adam and Eve that, that within them have the potential for multiplication to create an infinite number of people. But when death enters, that which is infinite becomes dead. It, it no longer has life. Death, you say, what's the opposite of life? You say death, like, that's not true. Death is not the opposite of life, it's the absence of life. There's no longer life. There's no longer the seed. There's no longer that which can create. And so he, he says the wages, the consequence of sin is this death. So what do we do? Like here, here's the problem we're dealing with today. Now remember we're talking about Easter. All men have sinned. So what do you do? When the wages of sin, the consequence of believing the liars, living the lies, is the destruction, the dismantling, the death, what, of all, all that it touches, what do, you, what do we do with that? And this is what God's temporary, everybody say temporary, come on. Everybody say temporary. God's temporary solution was this. He, he gave them laws. I don't want you to think about laws like the laws are going to tell us what's right and wrong, so we'll always choose what's right. That makes sense, right? But I, I, let's just do an experiment for giggles. This, this, remember, the, the law that God gave was not to create peace. It was more to govern war. It's, it's not, it's not the, the laws of God. It's the Geneva Convention of War. You, you can have a war, but these are the limits. You're not to use gas or nuclear or biological. These are weapons of mass destruction in the Geneva Convention. They're banned. They're prohibited. So it, this is what the law is. The law is saying, listen, thou shalt not murder. Like, you know, that's an option. <laughs> you know, thou shalt not lie. Like, oh, no, that's, we all agree these things are wrong. So the law comes to tell us what really is right and therefore what really is wrong. And, and it wasn't to create peace, it was, it was to just govern war. So the law we couldn't follow because of us. I, I've got this sin nature, you've got this sin nature. No one taught me to lie, it came natural to me. No one taught me to steal, they had to teach me not to. No one taught me to hit my sister. <laughs> I had to be disciplined when I hit my sister. It, these things that come naturally to every child and naturally to every man, naturally to every woman, natural to you, natural to me. This law comes to set these boundaries. Matter of fact, Paul, again, in Romans chapter 3, tells us the law is not to perfect us. It's just to tell us how wrong we are. Look at this. It says, therefore, Romans 3, verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared. No one. Now, the original Greek words, no one, are actually translated literally, no one. <laughs> not a single person. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Why? Well, I, I didn't murder. I'm righteous. Nope. Why? Well, I'm, I'm not lying today. <laughs> So I'm righteous. Nope. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the law. Rather, through the law, this is the purpose of the law. Now, you ready? We just become conscious of sin. Like, how do you know you're breaking the speed limit unless it's posted? How do you know lying's wrong unless, you know, God says, hey, that's, that is a lie. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's wrong. So the law reveals what is good and what is bad, but it doesn't make us good. As a matter of fact, it just shows that we're not. Having the speed limit sign doesn't make you someone who obeys the speed limit. It just tells you what the limit is. Now, be careful here. Let's be honest with ourselves because it didn't help to say, well, I'm a good person compared to who? There's a, there's a speed limit, but I guarantee you, come on, most of you listening to this right now, if you're driving in a car, you're speeding. <laughs> and those who are on your way to church, you were late because Susie had to get the dress wrinkled and the, the, the thing happened here with the bow tie. and the, So you showed up late and you showed up a little bit less late because you were, come on, speeding <laughs> on the way to church. I, I mean, you think about it. 
We, we're just naturally prone. We, we obey the laws when there's a consequence to us. So I didn't go 50 miles over the speed limit. I just went nine miles over the speed limit. Why? Because at 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, you get a ticket. <laughs> so we even choose that margin of what's really right or wrong. So the law reveals what is good, but it doesn't make us good. It actually reveals that we're not. Let's just do an experiment, just for giggles. Bye. Let's just do this. You ready? And, and I, if you're sitting there by yourself, maybe this doesn't make sense. But if you're in a corporate setting in one of our campuses, then, then this is going to make sense. You ready? By a show of hands, you're going to raise your hand if you agree with this. How many you believe that lying is wrong? Raise your hand if that's you. Come on. Lying is wrong. Raise your hand. All right, put your hands back down again. By a show of hands. Second question. How many of you have ever told a lie? Can I see your hand? Raise your hand up. Okay, now put it back down again. Third question. What do you call a person who didn't raise their hand to question number two? <laughs> you call them a liar <laughs> because we've all lied. See, that's, that's the thing, guys. We agree it's wrong, and yet all of us have done it. We agree that the wages of sin, that which lies touch, it destroys. If I lie to my wife, it destroys my marriage. I lie to my kids, it destroys my ability to parent them. I lie to you as a friend, it hurts our friendship, if not destroys it. And yet, there wasn't a person, if they're telling the truth now, that didn't raise their hand to say, I've lied. So I, I want you to know this. What do you do when you can't do what's required of you? Or when, when, you, when you can't stop doing what's forbidden? What do you do? Well, this is what mankind did, and this is what mankind does. They, they learn to cope. They, they kind of push that aside and they focus on other things where they can do well. Religion is an example of this. I, yes, I sin there, there, and there, but not here, here, and here. Therefore, here, here, and here is all very bad. And those who do it are bad people. And we condemn them, not on our sins, but on theirs because we're not tempted. We're, we're not fragile there. Oh, those terrible addicts that do those terrible addictive things. Well, if you're not addicted to those things, you've never struggled with that. It's easy to judge them. Well, what are we doing? We're focusing on that which we are righteous in and ignoring that which we are unrighteous in, and we're deciding that we are righteous, self-righteous. So they learn to cope in a variety of different ways. I think the first way is just idolatry. You know, it's just simple. Like, I'll just find another form of worship, and I'll worship that. They worship something else that they, back to this word again, that they prefer. I prefer this over that, just like Adam and Eve preferred the lie over the truth. We prefer idols. We prefer sports or hunting or success or women or wine or song or whatever it is, but I, I'm successful here. I ignore everything else in reality. I just chose this one and made it a priority because here I am someone special. It's idolatry. Sometimes it's addiction. They employ a servant. That's what I did. I, alcohol was my servant until it became my master. We, addiction is when something that serves us in a pleasurable or, or constructive way suddenly becomes destructive and we decide it's time to stop and we can't. Or the roosters come home to roost and, and all of a sudden it's all out. Like, I want you to hear me. Addictions and idolatry are two of the ways that we, we cope. Uh, thirdly is distraction. And I think this is the most common. We just, we just focus on other things. I, I, I'll deal with my sins someday, but right now I've got to pass algebra. I'll, I'll deal with my sins someday, but, but right now I'm, I'm raising a family. I'm, you know, I'll deal with my sins someday, but you know, I mean, compared to others, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm, I'm just going to keep going in the areas that, I, that, that make me feel distracted. In, in the book, A Case for Heaven by author Lee Strobel, who was a former journalist, I think for Chicago, one of the Chicago papers, Tribune or Times, 
And, and he, uh, he wrote this interesting observation. He's quoting other sources, but he says, some sociologists now believe that most culture, well, you remember culture, well, the sports culture, the, the educational culture, the wealth culture, the political culture, most sociologists now believe that most culture is simply a distraction from the reality that we are all going to die. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> I just, I, I, I read that and I went, wow, that culture, that which we create to become a part of, an important part of, small pond, big fish, whatever it is, right? I, but now I, I got the record for this, or I'm welcomed here, or everybody knows my name, and they're always glad I came. It could be a bar, it could be, but we all culture we create, it, it's just nothing more in the end than a distraction from the fact that, that we're all in the process of expiring from this life into the next. So here's the problem to be solved, right? This is God's problem now. Who God loves is filled with what God hates. God loves you. God loves me, but we've already confessed that we're sinners. I haven't confessed I'm a sinner. Wait a minute. Did you lie? How many times do you have to lie before you're a liar? Is lying a sin? How many times do you have to sin before you're a sinner? We've all confessed our sins, that we are sinners, right? So who God loves us is filled with what God hates, sin. So what God hates is now so intertwined with what God loves that it leaves us with a third problem, and that is how does he judge, right, what he hates without destroying who he loves? So the law, this, this is the answer. This is God's brilliant solution to this. The law that we couldn't follow because of us becomes the Savior that we can follow because of Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, want you, I want you to see this. In John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, you've heard this verse, many of you, but hear it for the first time with your heart. Open your, open your heart, open your mind to this. It says this, God loves you so much that he gave his one and his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, not works for him, not achieves righteousness, not by the law becomes perfect, who believes, trusts, has a relationship with, a ongoing and ongoing walking, breathing trust with Jesus Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's not here to tell us how wrong we are. He's here to show us how right he has been on our behalf. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So there's that faith again. Whoever believes in him shall be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. The judgment of our lives will be taken by Jesus Christ versus the judgment of our lives must be taken by us. It's that, it's that credit card I, I ran up and now I really can't afford the home we're renting. Jesus shows up and pays for it and I get to stay in the home. Because of his abundance, generously given in my lack, I, I am now free to enjoy. Does this make sense? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned. Now, what do you mean stands condemned? It means this, like there was a way out, but we decided to stand in the wrong place. Now, it's my righteousness, my, my law, my morality, my works. I don't believe in God. I, I'm going to get involved in this culture or that culture, this idol, that idol, this addiction, that addiction. I'm not going to think about Jesus. I'm going to find my own way or ignore that I'm on the wrong path because I, I can't face this. So it, those, those who do not believe they stand condemned because there's no other way to not stand condemned but to believe, to trust what Jesus has done for you. Already, because they have believed, those, I just want to read this again, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Listen, guys, I, 
this may be hard for you to hear, but I, I, you just have to hear it. All of your works, all the works that come from your effort, your self-discipline, your self-control, your, your self-will, they're all evidence of righteousness, but it's self-righteousness, and it's not enough. How many times you have to lie before you're a liar? I, I love this because people are like, no, I, I got pulled over for blowing through a, a, a stop sign. The police officer pulls you over and he says, here's your ticket. Okay, here's the question. How many stop signs do you have to stop at before this fine is, is paid for? The police officer will say, what are you talking about? Well, this fine, I, I went through the stop sign. It was a rolling stop. You gave me a, a $10 ticket. How many, how many good things do we need to do now to erase the one bad thing I've done? He'd say, it's, there's not good or bad. There's not better or worse. There's guilty. And there's innocent. You went through the stop sign. You are no longer innocent. You are guilty. And that guilt comes with a consequence, a price that must be paid. But no, good works. How, many, how, many, how, how much better driving do I need to do before this will just be forgotten? Well, it will not be forgotten. You have a ticket. You, you were convicted. You, you were witnessed. You're, you're wrong. You, you broke the law. And there's a consequence to breaking the law. Here's your ticket. You owe the court $10. Well, no, no. I, but I'll clean the courtroom. I'll, I'll be nice to my neighbor. I'll, I'll you know, give to charity. Like it, it doesn't matter how many good works you do. Innocence has become guilt through your action. And now there's a consequence. So how do we get out of that? We trust these things. What does a believer believe? I want to tell you this. How does God do all of this? What is a believer? What are we to believe? Number one is this. You've got to believe in the cross. I don't mean believe that it took place archaeologically, historically, the writings of Josephus, the history of the child. You've got to believe that what Jesus was doing on that cross, he did for you. You could not pay your debt. You were guilty. I was guilty. We needed someone to say, yes, you were guilty. And yes, there's a consequence. And I personally, from my own resources, will cover the consequence of your actions. It's forgiveness. I, I, you, I'm just saying this again. You've got to hear me. It is not what we do to undo what we've done. Someone else has to step in and undo or pay the consequence for what we've done. A couple thousand years ago, last Friday, you just think of this. A couple thousand years ago, last Friday, Jesus, the sinless, righteous, without fault Son of God, was nailed to a sinner's cross, not because of what he'd done, but because of what we have done. And in doing so, the righteous sacrifice for the unrighteous world, once for all who will believe, Jesus pays the price. And sin is now reconcilable in the ledger of God's righteousness and unrighteousness. The ticket's paid. The dinner's paid. The truth is told. It's won. There's victory. A couple thousand years ago, he's dead on Friday. He's dead on Saturday. Come on, somebody. But then Sunday morning, Jesus, the Son of God, because, because death has to do with sin. Jesus, Jesus didn't sin, so death has no grip on him. So on the third day, as Scripture foretold and as the Gospels tell and as history tells and as the disciples, the apostles, on and on, secular Roman like Josephus say he, is a, he was a God, but he was a man, but he was, he's so confused. But there's no disputing in, in the first century that Jesus rose from the dead, witnessed by multitudes, recorded in secular and sacred writings. Jesus, the Son of God, because of his righteousness, death cannot, there's no handle, there's no consequence because there's no sin. 
He pays for our sin. Then on the third day, Easter Sunday morning, the angel rolls away the stone. As the sun rises in the east, the Son of God comes back from the dead. And that's, that is the celebration of Easter, the resurrection. A couple thousand years ago, today, Jesus came out of the grave and set the world free through faith in what he's done and who he is. His victory is now our victory. I don't have a mic, but if I did, I, you know what I mean? His victory now becomes an extension of mercy and becomes our victory for those who will trust, who will walk in relationship, for those who believe. And today is not a day for us to, to, to try to prove anything, but it is a day for us to listen to the Holy Spirit moving in our heart. I, I want you to hear me. And I, I just, just do this last thing before we pray to God. I told you at the beginning this, we'd be praying at the end. I want to invite you to know Jesus. We're coming close to that moment. So I want you to consider and prepare your heart. Are you a sin? What are you going to do about the sin? Are, are, have you sinned? Are you a sinner? What are you going to do about that? You, you ran through the stop sign. Who's going to pay that consequence? How many more stop signs do you have to stop at before you erase it? You know the answer to that. How do we get out of this? We have a Savior named Jesus. So here, let's do this right now. On a scale from, let's say, zero to, to ten. Rate, being brutally honest, right here, right now, rate your relationship with Almighty God. Zero to ten. Zero is like... I. Atheists don't care. Antichrist on a bad hair day. My, being brutally honest, zero. Some of you say, what, you know, what's the 10 stand for? Man, I'm, I woke up this morning, had breakfast with Elijah. <laughs> you know, I see angels. <laughs> I can't stop weeping over the joy of his presence. That would be like a 10, right? So zero to 10. Rate being brutally honest now. It doesn't, it doesn't help us to inflate numbers one way or the other. Just be honest. Between zero and 10, rate your relationship with God. Now, you got that number? If you got that number, say amen. So this is, you've done one of two things. One is you said, okay, I did this. I obeyed that. I stopped here. I did, okay, I didn't do that. Okay, so we would subtract two for that. You know, carry the one. Uh, most people get somewhere between a six and an eight. They, they're afraid to go lower than a six because that means they're less than average. And for some reason, this has to be better than others so I, I can beat them into heaven. Being good is what's important to get into heaven. It's not true. But, but that's kind of the, the American mindset of righteousness is through work. So if, as long as I'm better than most people, I'm, I'm safe with God. It's completely ridiculous. You can be an excellent driver. You blow through one stop sign. You've gone from innocent to guilty. You, you may be the best driver ever. One stop sign takes you from, one to, from, from innocent to guilty. You agree with that? So think of it this way. Here we go. Most people say six. They're afraid to go less than that. Or they say eight, because if you said nine, I, please subtract two for being just prideful. <laughs> Come on, compared to all righteousness, you're nine. So, but, but this, this is the reality of it. It's, it that number, if it was anything other than zero or 10, you, you, you misunderstood the question. Because what you're doing is you're looking at what you've done to arrive at your number. And that's not the way it works. The only, the only answer that's legitimate is a zero or a 10. Why? Because I have not accepted, I have not believed, and I stand condemned. Or I have accepted, I have believed, and now I'm innocent from all guilt because I've been forgiven. I, I want you to hear me. Um, this is going to be hard to hear, but I, I, and I say it a lot, but heaven is not the place good people go when they die. Hell is not the place bad people go when they die. Please Erase from your mindset that horribly dangerous lie 
Because if that's true, then we try to be good, or at least better than others. And that leads into a self-righteousness and a bad form of religion and a lot of hypocrisy. Let's, let's just abandon that. Good people do not go to heaven, and bad people do not go to hell. So who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Scripture has told us, John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, right? Who goes to heaven? It's not good people. It's forgiven people. Who goes to hell? It's not bad people. It's people that have said, no, thank you. I'll find another way. I'll choose my own subjective truth over the objective truth of your word. And, and throughout history, the example of truth being better than lies, life being better than death, fidelity being better than infidelity. But in spite of all the evidence that God's word is true, I will live my own truth subjectively. So in other words, just, just hear this. Either you are right with God because you've allowed him to make you right, or you're not right with God. I want to pray with you. And here's that moment of invitation. If you're here right now, you're like, Jim, I'm not, I'm not right with God. I, I gave a number. <laughs> On a scale of zero to ten, I said like four. I said eight. I said six. And I realized that was me judging me by me and not me letting myself be judged by God's perfection and then allowing him to pay for my imperfections. In this closing invitation, I want to invite you into a believing, relational walk with Jesus Christ, the Son of God who 2,000 years ago came to this earth, lived a sinless life and showed us how to do it, defeated everything that ever defeated you and defeated me, who died a substitutional death, paying a debt he didn't owe for those who did. And now through simple faith, that, that faith, what about obedience? What about righteousness? Hear, hear me, that will come through relationship, not self-righteousness from self-control and self-discipline and self-will, but a relational I, I behave differently because I'm married than I did when I was single, not because she has a better lawyer or she can take me in an honest fight. I, I've changed my behaviors because now I'm a married man. I'm in a covenant relationship. So I don't date women. I found the one I'm looking for. You won't date other gods when you find the one God who created you to know him and to be known by you. This, this, this relational dynamic is where all true righteousness comes from. So let's begin there. Jim, I'm not right with God. And it's not because I'm not a good person. It's because I'm not an innocent person. I need forgiveness. I'm going to ask right now, and this may feel a little strange by video, but just walk with me here. Everybody, wherever you are right now, close your eyes and bow your head. An atmosphere of privacy has just been created just for you for this moment. From the foundations of the world, God has been preparing, waiting, paying for, anticipating this moment in your life where you make a decision to believe. Are you there? I'm going to count to three, and when I come to three, wherever you are, if you're driving down the street right now, if you're listening to this in your apartment, if you're in a restaurant right now hearing this, if you're in a coffee shop, wherever you're listening to this, come on, this moment is for you and God is for you and it's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that this is happening right now. This is a divine encounter between you and your creator and he has prepared everything for you to make one decision and that is who do you trust? Who will you walk with? If that answers today, I'm tired of the failures. I'm tired of repetition. I'm tired of trying so hard. The law I couldn't follow, I want to follow the law, the, the lawgiver of Jesus, the one that I, I can follow by his grace, the savior of the world. Are you ready? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. Are you ready? One, all over this room, come on. Two, don't be afraid. Don't let fear stop. Don't believe the lie. This is your moment, and God's been waiting a long time. Are you ready? right now over this room. Come on, three. Lift up your hand all over this room. 
wherever you are, lift up your hand. I am today saying to God, I believe and I trust you. We're going to end this service and your campus pastor is going to be praying with you in just a moment. He's going to lead you in a prayer. But I want you to know something just before that happens. Last thing. This is not the end. It is in some ways the end of your yesterdays. But understand this. What God saved you from is a beautiful, powerful story. But now we have a question. What do you think God saved you for? <laughs> your purpose. As you pray this prayer today, as you give your life to Jesus, all that was wasted, God, God forgives our sins, but he owns the rights to our stories. So God saved you from things. But God saved you for a reason. Your creative, unique purpose has now been restored through Jesus. And in the coming weeks, next week we're going to have a water baptismal service. If you've been baptized in water, we're going to explain it. Come wearing dark clothes, hear the explanation. If you want to get dunked next week, because God saved you for, not just from. God leads us out of Egypt so we can go into the promised land. God leads us out of darkness so we can walk in the light. You hear what I'm saying? Look at me, look at me. There's a purpose for your life. The, 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 the backstory is going to be forgiven in a moment. But, but the story now gets to be written by God's hand, not by man's hand. And that's where you're at. So I'm going to say goodbye to you. Your campus pastor is going to take it over. But next week, baptism. We're going to have a series for the next several weeks called Life on This Side of the Cross. And I hope you'll join us. God bless you. I'm so excited for this new walk as you continue, man, just to, just to walk now with your Savior, Jesus Christ.